Welcome to CompTIA Shark Bites with Alan Shark, Vice President, Public Sector, and Executive Director of CompTIA's Public Technology Institute, where we explore tech leadership in the public sector. Hi, everyone. This is Alan Shark, and welcome to another episode of SharkBites.net, and welcome to our third season. Today, we will have a conversation with Daryl Polk, who is the Chief Technology Officer, County of Riverside, California and a longtime PTI supporter, and I should mention a CGCL graduate, um, who we featured uh, in season one in our second episode. So it seems, Daryl, you you come early to the beginnings of the year, uh, and, and given the topic we're about to uh, tackle, um, this is a worthy cause. Uh, Daryl and I were part of a conversation the other day with the executive uh, council, which is a part of PTI, the governing body. Uh, Daryl is a member of that. But before I introduce you, Daryl, I want to just remind those who don't know you, for many, many years, you were the Director of Innovation and Technology at the city of Rancho Cucamonga. You're actually an adjunct faculty member at Cambridge College. Um, and then this is other part of your career that fascinates me. You were a police administrative director, and before that, a public safety uh, dispatcher of the city of Ontario, California. And as people will hear, your voice certainly shows that uh, you have a very good voice. You have a master's of public administration from Villanova, um, dear to my heart, also an MPA graduate myself. So Daryl, welcome back to the program. Alan, thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. So in our conversation the other day, we were talking about all all aspects of cloud. And while you know the federal government had uh, cloud first and uh, cloud most and all these different initiatives, and many local governments along with states have followed suit, there's so many compelling reasons to move to the cloud, but there seems to be this big gap among many in terms of thinking um, of the little finer points that are not always considered. So Daryl, set the stage. You were relatively new to the county of Riverside uh, as their chief technology officer. It's a real change from you going from a city to a county. Uh, Riverside is a giant county. Uh, and um, you uncovered some interesting things that really, um, began this whole conversation. So why don't you help tell the story? Yeah, so to kind of set the stage, Riverside counties in Southern California and size and scope wise, it would be as though you drop the state of Tennessee into the middle of Southern California. Population and uh, size wise, we're about 7,000 square miles, and almost 3 million population. And the county government is a fairly large and robust organization, about 25,000 staff members across that 7,000 square miles and about a $6 billion operating budget. And the reason I want to bring that up is that we have 42 departments covering a range of services from a hospital system to uh, childcare, adult protective services, law enforcement. And all of these departments have really dynamic operational needs, which has made cloud very appealing for a lot of them. Um, you know, over the past 10 years, we've seen cloud go from kind of a niche service to a mainstream to a very desirable avenue for a lot of our uh, services in local government. Um, getting into it is relatively frictionless. Um, you can start a small cloud service with your uh, P card, with a, a, your county credit card. Um, most of them don't require much of an extensive contract. You can do it through a website. Uh, and we've seen that from time to time. Um, we try to keep everything enterprise, try to use enterprise agreements for it. 
Um, and we do our best to do due diligence going in, but once again, they, they make it very, very easy to get into cloud. What we're discovering now is it's not so easy getting out of cloud. And part of the challenge in government is that you have a due diligence to evaluate the value to your constituents at all times of any enterprise system that you maintain. Um, when you're, you're dealing with uh, infrastructure that you own or software that you own, there's kind of a natural rhythm to it as you know, equipment times out or software moves to a new version. Um, it's an opportunity to kind of sit and reflect on whether that's the right course of action to continue with that line or whether you want to go out to an RFI request for information and explore new options. When you get into cloud services, because it's kind of a continuous rolling service, um, as long as they maintain their identity and their integrity, the service just continues as long as you pay the bill. So occasionally though, there comes an operational need to get out of a cloud service. Um, and it can be a business decision, it could be a political decision, it can be, like I say, just an evaluation of overall value to the county. Um, and that's the part that I kind of want to talk about, because what we've discovered is that getting in is the key to getting out easily. That if you don't put a little foresight into these agreements and spell out some of the specifics of what a separation looks like, you can wind up in a pretty difficult situation on the termination of the agreement. And that's where we begin this story, really. You've given us the background. So you walked into right in the middle. This is before you got there. Agreements had been made. Um, they're all over the county. Um, so it's not one central type of thing. And now suddenly you've uncovered a nightmare. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't want to get into specifics because we are still in the middle of this. Mm -hmm. But there's an enterprise system that we have that uh, they had entered into an agreement to years ago. I started with the county uh, last April. And um, we have a project where we had parallel systems running. Um, and that happens. Occasionally, you try and adopt a new system. The old system doesn't quite die a natural death. And you end up with kind of these parallel efforts. Um, we are, are trying to be fiscally prudent and ensure that we consolidate systems wherever we can. So we evaluated both systems and decided which one we're keeping and which one we're, we're getting out of. Turned out the cloud system was the one that we decided to um, depart with. And um, that turned into a really uh, challenging exercise that we weren't considering. We had it on our risk list uh, for the, uh, the project, um, but we really hadn't given any thought to that being an extraordinarily difficult exercise. We had a clause in our original agreement that said the data is, is the property of the county and shall be returned to the county from the cloud system upon separation of the agreement or upon request. But it on the surface, and on the surface, that sounds perfectly reasonable. Sounds like it covers our bases. We get our data, we own our data. And I think that is the crux of this is that getting into a cloud service, you assume that a cloud service is kind of like a uh, bank account. Please. where it's your money, it's going into the bank, they're protecting it, they're making it available to you when you need to use it, but it's going to stay there until you decide to switch banks. And when you get it back, you're getting it back as usable money. And what we ran into is when we asked for our data to be returned, we received a multi-million dollar quote to pull the data out in a usable format. Um, it's a relational database, which, you know, for those of your viewers that aren't familiar with that, um, relational databases architect the information to where it is not 
it's not readily identifiable unless you put it through some type of a filtering system to connect all of the fields in a, in a meaningful way. To somebody who's just looking at it, it's jumbled random data that has connector points that need to be added for it to be usable. And that relies on a data dictionary. Um, if you have that, you can kind of, if you have the skill set and have the tools, you can reconstruct it yourself. But without the data dictionary, it's just a jumble of, of information. And that's how we got the offer to get our data back, is they literally said in the exchange, this will be unusable to you, but we will give it to you. <laughs> and so it would be like if you went to the bank and said, I'd like to withdraw my pension, and they gave it to you in pennies. So this is worse. Hey, wait, no, pennies at least have value. This pennies have value. Almost, this has no value. So this is truly thanks for nothing. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, this, this would have been just an exercise in futility. And being a, a local government entity, we have statutory requirements on a lot of this data. And I think that would be the first thing that you should discuss very candidly amongst your staff and amongst your team is what type of data are we putting in the cloud? Are there sensitivities? Is it HIPAA? Is it PII? Is it PCI? Does it have information that if it's compromised could leave us in a, in a bad place? Um, I think that all too often we tend to think of the cloud as inherently being more secure than our on-premise server farms. And that's not always true. Mm -hmm. um, and even with security aspect, they usually aren't backing it up in the same sense that we back it up. And that's for data preservation. For, for most local governments, when you're backing up data, there's an operational component, but there's also a component where we have immutable records that we need to keep. And, and there's a, a data quality and preservation aspect to it that we need to follow. Um, in the cloud, it's purely operational. And usually don't confuse redundancy of data centers where they have a failover in case a data center goes down with actually having backups that if they lose it, if they're compromised, they are able to restore that. And I, there are countless stories out there right now of cloud service providers that didn't have adequate backups. Um, so when that restoration piece hit, they kind of had to start from scratch. And that's, that's the true nightmare for any CIO. If, if you want your walking papers, lose your data. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. So in a sense, you're being blackmailed in a, in a weird way or extorted in the sense that, yeah, they'll give it, not only give it to you, but they'll sell you the ability to get it back. Is that correct? That's what it feels like. And, and in fairness, we're still in negotiations and we're trying to kind of reconcile this the best we can. But we've actually, I mean, this is after months of intense negotiations. The best and final offer we've gotten is $1.9 million to deliver the data in a usable format, which sounds a lot like ransomware. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm expecting the next one to be in Bitcoin. Right, um, right. So um, it's just, I think, having gone through this exercise, moving forward, and if we could have what I would have recommended is have a clause in there that spells out, number one, exactly how you want your data presented when you separate but also a clause that says on some regular cadence, you will get a snapshot of your data in that format so that if things go south, you're only using, you're only losing the Delta from when you got your last snapshot to right. the point of discussion. So if it's annual, if it's quarterly, whatever your tolerance for that is. The other 
aspect of that that works is that if, if you have a reporting database structure, if you have a data lake, now you get that data in a consumable format where you can bring it over there and, and not have to worry about reporting off of production. Because that's the other consideration with these cloud services is they can be very proprietary about using the data outside of their application. So being able to tie in Power BI or Tableau or some other service into that can be tricky and sometimes it's just not an option. So getting the data on a regular interval where you know you're getting it in a way that suits you, that will suit your statutory requirements, you can recreate important forms. On this one, there are forms that we need to produce um, if demanded that we kind of trusted that system to house them. So um, we need to be able to get that back. And, and we're exploring kind of how we can make that work if, if we're not able to get the data back. Um, but it, it's it's a risk that could have easily been avoided with a little bit of, of foresight on that. And I'm not trying to put any blame on my predecessors. I've gone into cloud agreements where I didn't consider that going in because when you're going in, it's handshakes and smiles and everybody's happy with it. Um, and, and there's kind of this inherent sense of trust. You won the RFP, you won the bid, you competed for our business. Of course, you're going to take care of us. But there's so many finer points. I think this is what you're saying. And you're just kind of uh, illustrating one. I mean, you know, you see a thing of, yes, um, we'll give you your data back, check, boxes checked. Um, yeah, we do backups, boxes checked. Um, but behind those two things is in what format, under what conditions. Now you're finding out it could be, a, you know, multi-million dollars, perhaps. Number two, if it's um, in terms of backups, it's like, well, how often? Um, what are your security protocols? Uh, what are you mapping to? You know, is it uh, CSI protocols? Are you up to date? You know, we assume that all these major players, and many of them are major, um, are conforming. I think what I'm hearing from uh, folks in the field like yourself, that's not always the case. We we cannot assume we have to have assurances. Um, and then if there's even a data loss, then there's a question of who is responsible. Um, I've heard cases where, and this is true probably for some of the smaller uh, cloud providers, where they've just been doing contracts the way they've been doing them, you know, for a zillion years, like buying a car. You know, you there's very little wiggle room in these long legal size things that they've been using that have worked, but they're very one-sided. Um, it almost puts, they almost don't take any responsibility for these things occurring. Yeah, and it's difficult because in the normal government procurement process, that comes at the tail end. So you're you're crafting the contract or agreeing to language after you've gone through an extensive RFP and extensive vetting, you've done your due diligence. So it puts a lot of pressure on it. That it's you're going to let the contract stop us from getting the vendor that we've chosen, the services that we want, the the method of delivery that works best for us. Um, and now you're letting it come down to a legal ease issue. And, and you're right, a lot of these vendors have boilerplate contracts that their legal teams have developed that indemnifies them holistically and gives them outs for a lot of these, these issues. Um, and when you push back, it can be complicated. It can add a lot of time to the process. It can add complication. A lot of them will want it. I know uh, on the government side, if we do an agreement, we want any changes to language done as an addendum, not as a red line. Um, and addendums can be tricky because if you don't, you know, address all the language that it touches, it's which takes priority. Does the addendum take priority or does the original language of the contract take priority? Um, but that being said, um, you know, I've done addendums before that basically uh, if their contract doesn't state like their SOC 1, SOC 2 compliance, their audit 
path, um, you know, all of their, their basic compliance for security, we would attach an addendum that says, you're telling us that you meet these requirements, meet or exceed these requirements. But we never really thought to say, hey, we need you to operationally also deliver data to us on a regular cadence exercise. When, when we talk about DR, when we talk about COOP and COG, right, right. continuity of governance, continuity of operations, the, the golden rule is planning is great, testing is, is practice, excellent. practice and test practice, just yep. like our fire and you being with a public safety background that you had, um, you know that probably better than most. Um, yeah. Public safety is always practicing, practicing, practicing. Yeah, if you don't practice what you have on paper, that paper will be near worthless when you need to use it. You're blowing yeah. the dust off of a policy that you've never bothered to exercise. And, and like I say, I think this is something that is kind of inherent to cloud services because once again, for both sides, for the local government entity that's going into the contract and for the service provider that's you know entering into that agreement, they both want it to be a frictionless process getting into it. There's this, this kind of overwhelming synergy to just make it simple, make it easy. Yeah. You know, hey, we'll take the data you have and we'll export or import it up, just give it to a CSV or an Excel file, or we'll figure it out. It, it's when they don't have a vested interest in that contract any longer, when it's actually now going to be a detriment to them to proceed on this, it it really becomes, and I'm not, I'm not trying to cast all vendors in that light. Um, this is actually a relatively rare occurrence in mm -hmm. that from my experience that I, I have not had to go through a transition out of a cloud service that kind of had this level of complexity and, and kind of consternation to it. Um, but it can happen. And like I say, lessons learned, I think moving forward, we are going to be exercising quite a bit more on this. This will be part of our DR, part of our coupon cog scenario is what if that cloud service provider had, can't support us anymore? How are we getting the data down? So you and I spoke before we began recording and you talked about counties like yours very often are, are not very centralized. That's just the nature of, of counties very often. So you have other I guess, folks within the county that probably don't know they have the same problem. <laughs> so the question is, how are you getting the message out? How are you interfacing, say, with um, the other folks that uh, play a role in this, um, thinking procurement, um, senior management? To what extent are they aware and are they realizing that things have to change? So um, we're starting with our internal services. And, and what's great is that, you know, for the County of Riverside, we work closely with our other service providers in internal services. So I have a very close relationship with our procurement official and she's at the table on this. So she's got the same reaction that I have. Um, so getting the people who are responsible for the mechanics of this at the table to kind of get on the same page where we all understand the, the uh, threat that's presented by this, understand how it positions the county in a very vulnerable place, uh, potentially, um, that allows us to take a uniform message to the executive office and to the board, and then to the other department heads that says, hey, you know, I, we understand the need for your operational evolution, that, that you, you know, we're all under the same challenges right now, especially with staffing, with remote work, with uh, increased demand from the public on services, with kind of the, the kind of fading clarity on where service lines begin and end. 
you know, a lot of the systemic problems, homelessness, uh, you know, poverty, a lot of these things have multiple facets to them that touch different departments all at the same time. And so these departments are really trying to augment their ability to provide services directly to the public with technology. So it's yeah. get technology doing the, the bureaucratic things, have computers talk to computers, have people working with people. Um, so what that means is that there's this increased appetite for cloud services, for ready to move services. Um, and so with that kind of pressure, it's you it's difficult to say we need to slow down. That sounds very governmenty. is we need to slow down and we need to review this. So we're trying to kind of strike that balance of what is our due diligence? How can we proceed safely but efficiently? And I think just having a plan in place that we can bring to the vendors to say, we need our data down in a regular interval, it would check a huge box on that. But also, like I say, there's other facets of this that I know I'm not even considering that I'm just now starting to kind of unravel with my partners here in, in the IT department. Um, what other things had we not considered? Because we just saw cloud as such a turnkey solution in so many ways. Well, there's, there's more to that. I mean, coming out of COVID, although it's still around, but coming out of COVID, we did so many things because it had to be done immediately. So I yep. wonder um, how many contracts did we sign or ignore? How many things did we do because it was an emergency, which totally understandable. And now we're kind of stepping back and say, okay, wait a minute, we have to take a more rational approach. The decisions we make are no longer, you know, with a gun to our head. We need to stop, as you say, and do and get back to doing things the right way. Right. Yeah, it's just another layer of due diligence. And this is where um, I think cloud is still a relatively new model for a lot of local government agencies. Um, I think it seems established because we've just become, it's become such a prevalent part of our lives. And it's kind of part of this overall consumerization of IT where you know, I, IT is at your phone level, IT is at your television level, IT is kind of omni, it's your watch. Everything has an IT perspective. And I think it, it recalibrates everybody's expectations that all IT should be at a consumable level. Um, I can sign up for Facebook uh, with just a click, I acknowledge. But it goes back to that, did you read the agreement? Did you understand what Facebook's looking at on your phone? This is the TikTok ban that we're dealing with right now is you have millions of people that just, TikTok's another, it's great, it's fun. Yeah. There's cats, there's all sorts of things on there. Yeah. And then they get it on there and all of a sudden they're hearing you know, things through the news or reading articles that, wait, TikTok looks at my other applications. TikTok scrapes my data from other processes on the phone. And there's a, another government outside uh, government that's may have access to that. So it's those deeper questions about these cloud services, about hosted services, that we really need to start asking as, as we become more and more dependent on them. So do you think there will ever be a time when we go back to premise? <laughs> because we're seeing, you know, with all the wonderful things, but our communication uh, systems have improved so much that in a sense, I hear some people saying, you know, I'm going back, I'm going back to premise because I can control that and still have the access I want. You know, I think it's putting premise in a new light. Um, I think that there was a, uh, a kind of a rush to judgment to say, you know, hey, you can save the, the uh, CapEx costs and the uh, recurring investments and, and the maintenance. The, the argument I've heard against uh, on-premise is you can uh, you know, relieve your staff. You, can, you don't need as much staff to support a cloud environment. 
And it's just the acknowledgement that number one, that may not be as true as you think, um, because you still have servers. And uh, if you go into Amazon S2 or S3, they're not going to do that for you. You still have to manage those servers. They're just giving you a shell. It's just someone else's computer. Right. Um, and there's, there's, I call it the teddy bear factor. There's a value to being able to put your arms around the place where your data is. Because when it goes south, if you're in the cloud, you're waiting for a phone call. Yeah. You have no control. You have no say-so. You are at the mercy of the vendor. When you're on-prem and you have staff that are trained and experienced in managing that data center, you can get MacGyver with it if you need to. You can take extraordinary measures. You can do things to kind of get it back online because when it goes south, nobody cares about how it went south. That's right. It needs I to mean, be restored right now. From the citizen's point of view, they could care less if they're communicating through a cloud or whatever. And that's just another conversation. Yeah, Darryl, you really don't have any value on that. So. <laughs> no. I'm going to let that be the final word, Daryl. This time went by very, very quickly. <laughs> um, you've opened our eyes uh, to something that I think many of us sensed was hoping would not be the case. But uh, I think the very fact that you've walked into something and were able to articulate this and share your experience with others uh, will help so much as people rethink their cloud exposure, rethink what they're doing. And uh, we look forward to hearing more about uh, a successful resolution uh, to your dilemma. So Daryl, I wanna thank you so much. It's always a pleasure uh, to have you on this program. It's, it's always a pleasure being here. It's great talking with you, Alan. And I look forward to seeing where this series goes. So Great. So I think we're going to feature a number of these on the cloud because it's uh, really uh, something that people ignore thinking, you know, done, we're on to the next issue. It, uh, it's now we have to go circle back and start looking at the uh, the bullets and the finer point. So this wraps another issue, uh, our first issue of uh, the new year, 2023. Uh, we've been talking with Daryl Polk, who is the Chief Technology Officer of the County of Riverside, California. So as I normally end these programs, I want to thank you all and encourage you to subscribe if you haven't, so that you are aware of all the new topics that we're dealing with. And welcome to season three. And so by all means, be safe personally, professionally, and digitally. Until next time. This has been a production of the Comtia Public Technology Institute. To learn more, visit connect.comtia.org and search public sector.